Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. All right, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Come on, put our hands together for King Jesus. We love you, Lord. We appreciate you for waking us up this morning, bringing us into your house. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Y'all happy to be in church today? I'm happy to be here with you today. I missed y'all last week. Kinda. We were in Florida, so it, it, it was nice and, and, and sunny, and then we were in the most magical place on earth, Disney World. And um, this is how I know our kids are getting a good biblical education in Legacy Kids. We get there, and the Uber driver says, you're in the most magical place on earth. And as soon as we get out of the Uber, my son says, Dad, we're Christians. We don't believe in magic. That's witchcraft. Like, thank you, Lord, that he did not say that in front of the Uber driver, just (laughs) rebuking the Uber driver, you know. But that's where we were, and um, if you're a vegan or you do CrossFit or run marathons, you have to talk about those things. (laughs) If a vegan also does CrossFit, how do they decide what to talk about first? I don't know. But uh, I was able to finish my marathon that I had been training for for the last five months. How many guys saw that on Instagram? I, I, I want you to know that I was thinking about you guys when I got started. And then like once my world got real small and I was in a lot of pain, all I could think about was just keep running. But as soon as I crossed the finish line, I just lifted my hands and I worshiped with you. All right. It was during the... Um, 8.30 service probably, and uh, then I walked over to the side and cried like a baby. So you know how that goes sometimes. You do something really hard, and it's all of the emotions. So it was awesome. I'm grateful that I had the privilege to start the year of 2024 in victory. And I want you to know if you've already given up on some 2024 goals or resolutions or aspirations, it is not too late to hit the reset button. It is not too late to invite the Holy Spirit into your life and believe God for a victorious 2024. Is there anybody in the room this morning that is believing Jesus for a victorious 2024? Me too. You know what I've been praying over us as a church family? I've been declaring that 2024 is going to be a year marked by God's fruitfulness in our life and a year marked by God's favor in our life. How many of you will receive that? Fruitfulness and favor. Well, as we were concluding 2023, Myself, my wife, um, our elders and our pastors, we got together for a local retreat here, just praying, processing prophetically, pressing in, asking God what his goals for 2024 were for our house. 
because it's not good enough church to have good goals. How many of you guys know you got to have God goals? Not just good ideas. I'm talking about God dreams, the things that you hear from him in his presence in a place of prayer. And so that's what we were pressing in for. And one of God's goals for our house here at Legacy Nashville is that we increase in our biblical literacy. All right, that's one of God's big goals for Legacy Nashville in 2024, that we would grow in a greater biblical literacy. It's God's desire for his saints to know his word. so that his saints can build their lives on his word. Amen. It's important that we know this word. It's important that we know this word. You know, I don't know how many of you, I thought of this illustration this week, so I'm sorry if it offends anybody. I I don't know how many of you have a firearm in your home. I know a lot of people do because they have something in their home for personal protection and home security. And I was thinking about this this week. If I never get that firearm out of the safe and I don't know how to use that firearm in a moment of need, then it's fruitless. It just sits. But what if somebody did intrude into my house? What if somebody did break in? What if I did know how to I did need to know how to use that firearm, but because I wasn't familiar with it, I wouldn't know how to use it. Now, that's a life-saving device in that situation, but Christians, what we don't realize about the Word of God, the Bible, is that this is a life-saving weapon of our spiritual warfare, and unfortunately, some of us just leave it in the safe. We never get it out. It's accumulating dust on our mantle, but can I encourage you in 2024, one of God's goals for this house, if you're a member of this family, is that you grow in an increased biblical literacy. And so my challenge to you is, I would like for all of us to bring our physical Bibles to church this year. All right, it's just my request. If you have a physical Bible that you bring it to church this year, that you get a new pack of highlighters on Amazon if you need to. And I mean, it doesn't matter to me if this thing is all colored up, marked up. Listen, when you see somebody whose Bible is falling apart, what do they say? That's somebody who's got their life all together. I believe that. Y'all believe that? How many of y'all got your Bibles? All right, go ahead, open them up to Luke chapter 4. Throw your thumb in Luke chapter 4 because I'm not going to get there for another five minutes. But I want to let you know that's where we're going today because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series for a brand new spiritual season, 2024. We are going to be doing the same sermon series for the next 10 Sundays leading us up to Easter. And the title of the sermon series, get this, the title of the sermon series is Truth to Table. Truth to Table. The reason for that is because my conviction is one of the ways that we can grow as saints in our biblical literacy is by deep diving on one book of the Bible at a time. Now, I don't know if we'll do this all year, but at least we're going to start this way by deep diving into the book of Luke. And what we're going to look at, because this happens all the time in the book of Luke, 
is we're going to look at Jesus doing Jesus things, not in the temple, not in the church sanctuary, but we're going to look at Jesus doing Jesus things in people's houses around dinner tables. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so as we go on this journey together as a family, we're going to look at Jesus, the person of truth, coming into people's houses and teaching and training and working and moving and healing and doing what Jesus does oftentimes around the dinner table in the book of Luke. So during the next 10 10 weeks, the Truth to Table sermon series, I've got some objectives as your pastor. Would you guys like to hear those objectives? All right, I'm probably only going to do this today, so if you need to take some pictures, you can and see if, you know, and pray into this with us. But here's the objectives of our study. We got eight of them. To display the biblical frequency of shared meals around Jesus in the New Testament. I think this is something we got to get back to in the modern church, especially after 2020, where we're so separated and isolated and so many people are experiencing increased loneliness. I think an antidote for that is for us to eat more meals together. You ever eat with somebody you're mad at? It just has a way of diminishing the offense, doesn't it? Because you recognize that they're a human being just like you're a human being, and they depend upon sustenance and meals in the same way that you depend upon it. And it's a way of acknowledging their fellow humanity and helping us to see that the person who's offended us is not as bad as we might have thought. So break bread with your enemies. Not getting a whole lot of amens on that side on that one. And I get it, but maybe over here y'all can say, amen, pastor, let's go. Number two, share the heart's desire of Christ to pursue people and to build friendships, which he did so often around dinner tables. Number three, reveal Jesus the evangelist. How many of you guys know Jesus is an evangelist? Witnessing his relentless pursuit of sinners in order to save the lost, which he did so often around dinner tables. God never told sinners to go to church. God told the church to go to sinners. So Jesus pursued sinners and he would go into their houses and he would eat with them. Number four, teach and train our church to pursue covenant relationships as Jesus did, building significant, and here's the great thing about church, even unlikely friendships. Number five, encourage our church to faithfully give our whole selves to the covenant community that Jesus is building at Legacy. If you are a member of this body, that you'd become a strong member of the body. Encourage every member of Legacy to be in a dinner party. I'm going to let y'all just say amen to that. And I'm not done. And be actively praying about when to host one. Amen. Amen. Uh, Everyone, get to the table. Number seven, stir our church up for biblical hospitality. Do you guys know one of the qualifications of biblical elders in the New Testament is that they would be hospitable? It's amazing, right? Last one, activate our church in a relational style of evangelism like Jesus. You know, there are many different expressions of evangelism, but one of the convictions I have is that I should talk to God about people before I talk to people about God. 
And I believe that you can win people to yourself before you win people to him by building relationship and friendship. And long before people even realize it, you're already discipling them. You can disciple people before they know you're discipling them. And then we, we lead them to Jesus. It's, just, it's, it's one expression of evangelism, a relational style of evangelism, which he did so often once more around dinner tables as a guest in people's home. How many of you are in Luke chapter 4? If you're there, say, I'm there. It's only two verses of Scripture. Would you guys mind stand for the reading of the Word? Uh, we're going to read verse 38 and 39 in Luke chapter 4. Uh, originally, I had prepared like 15 verses for today. I got stuck on these two, went on a deep dive, and the rest is history. Verse 38, let's read it out loud all together. And he arose and left the synagogue. Let's stop right there. I want you to notice something all throughout the Gospels is that there are a number of supernatural healings that take place after church. All right, as you read through the Gospels, you'll see as people are leaving synagogue with Jesus, Jesus heals people. And where does he go? And he entered into... And, and now, si who's Simon, by the way? Peter, that's right. We know by him being referenced as Simon that this is early in the ministry of Jesus because Jesus has not renamed him yet to Peter. Y'all ready? Keep going. And, and, and now Simon's... Hold on, wait just a second. Right there, you mean to tell me that one of the disciples, Simon Peter, was actually married? Oh, yeah. See, I know some of the men in the room, you think, I can't really follow Jesus like a real disciple because I'm married. I got so many responsibilities. I got a nine to five. I got kids. Hey, so did Simon Peter. All right, so don't disqualify yourself because you are a dad. Or because you're married with a nine to five, so was Simon Peter. And even by reference, referencing the fact that Simon has a house, it informs us of Simon Peter's socioeconomic status because only the wealthy at that time could afford to own homes. So even if you're a business person or a business owner, or an entrepreneur, or you know, you've been successful, maybe you've also disqualified yourself saying, I, I don't have time, I'm too busy, but Simon Peter was successful in his business and he followed Jesus. Is this helping anybody already, a little backstory? Okay, let's keep going. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed. Everybody say appealed. appealed. That means they prayed. This is an act of prayer, an intercession. They appealed to him on her behalf. Now, that lets me know that Simon, like me, uh, had a great relationship with his mother-in-law. Mother Lila's not here right now, but some people wouldn't even pray for their mother-in-law, so <laughs> nobody say amen, especially. <laughs> but they appealed to him on her behalf. Somebody say intercession. intercession. And he stood over her. Somebody say overshadowed. overshadowed. And he rebuked the fever, somebody say warfare. warfare, and it left her, somebody say freedom. freedom, and immediately she rose, yeah, and began to serve them. So the implication there is that she got up and began to prepare a meal. What I want to talk to you about this morning, church, and the time that I have is about cultivating a family on fire for Jesus. 
All right, this is how we're going to get started in 2024. We're going to cultivate a family on fire for Jesus. You with me? Daniel, I'm glad you're in here because you're doing this. You're doing this. I was praying for you this morning by name out loud in the car because my son is sick. So um, I was by myself this morning. Mama's at home. But that gives me a little time to pray. I was praying. I said, Daniel Kendrick, this is a word for Daniel Kendrick in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you for your everlasting word that is so faithful to transform us. God, I pray for an impartation today directly from King Jesus himself. Would you move through every seat today, lay hands upon us personally, God, and fan the flame that is within us to a place of full possession. Lord, I pray for every mom, every dad, every auntie, every uncle, grandmother, grandfather, that we would cultivate families on fire for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, give your neighbor a high five, say amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So we're going to talk about Jesus coming into actual houses. So you probably know this because you're at church today, but you know what Jesus loves to do? Jesus loves to host. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are not in my house. You're not in Legacy's house. You're not in the house of our pastoral team. You are in God's house today. It's always fascinating to me when we come into church and we say, Lord, we invite you here. Listen, this is already his house. He invited you here. He invited us here. Jesus loves to host. I don't know about you, but I love to come into God's house. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But you know what Jesus also loves? Jesus loves to be our guest in our house. Jesus loves to come into our home. Jesus longs for us to do what Simon and Andrew did, for us to welcome him into our homes. Because in 2024 legacy, Jesus wants to come over. He wants to come home with you. Now, Peter and Andrew, they did with Jesus probably what most of us are going to do this afternoon. They left the house of the Lord, and what did they say? Hey, let's go home. Let's have a meal together. Let's spend a little time together. Let's fellowship together. And, you know, the food was on its way, but before they asked Jesus what temp do you like your steak prepared, Lord? And we know if it was filet mignon, it was medium rare because that's the only temp that you're supposed to cook a filet mignon. It's a mixed crowd today. It's a mixed crowd. We know Jesus definitely said that. But, but before they could get to a question about the food, they had a question for Jesus about their family. They knew, I got to get Jesus into my house. It's not enough for me to go to his house with him. I've got to get Jesus in my house because I need Jesus to move amongst my family. Now, I know today that many believers leave Jesus at church. They leave Jesus at church. They don't bring Jesus home with them because they separate their religious life to Sunday mornings 
with their real life, which is the rest of their life. And so what they do is they make Jesus a part of their life. But how many of you know Jesus is not supposed to be a part of your life? Because when you get saved, you are then a part of his life. You didn't get saved because you gave your life to Jesus. You got saved because Jesus gave his life to you. So Jesus doesn't just share in a sliver of your life, but you are in Christ. And that's the way that we now live as born-again believers. But a lot of Christians today, they leave Jesus at church. We come into church and we put on our church clothes. You know what I'm saying? We spray on our church fragrances. Unfortunately, some of our outfits include a mask. And we we, we put on this religious mask where we come into church and somebody says, how are you doing? And we know we just had an argument in the car on the way in with our spouse, but we shake their hand and we say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. (laughs) What I want to encourage you in today, church, is don't just come to God's house and visit with Jesus here, but take Jesus home with you and Have Jesus touch every single part of your life. I am grateful that God has given us his address. I'm grateful that I know where to go when I want to come into God's house. But my question to you this morning, Legacy, is does God know where to go when he wants to come visit you in your house? Have you given Jesus your address? Have you welcomed Jesus into your home? Or, you know, do do you just expect Jesus to host you really well anytime you get in the mood to go to his house? What preparations are we willing to make in 2024 to welcome Jesus into our houses, into our households? You know, one of the things about close friends is that close friends go to one another's houses. When, When you grow in relationship with somebody, you stop texting about, hey, meet me here out and about. I mean, come on, the the Nashville restaurant's getting expensive. (laughs) Tourists driving the prices up and the quality down. (laughs) But that's why we do fillets at medium rare. I digress. We text one another and we say, y'all just come over here. We're so close at this point. I mean, we are our best friends, me and Allison. We come over in our PJs all the time. We just hang out. We cook together. That's what close friends do. Close friends go to one another's houses. And I believe that close friends of Jesus will make it a point, will make it their passion to be in his house every single opportunity that they get. But they will also be equally as passionate about bringing Jesus into their house at any opportunity that they get. And that's something that Peter and Andrew acknowledge is that they have a need at home. They're not just showing up in their church clothes saying, oh, I'm blessed, I'm great, while they have pain and suffering at home in their house. You may not have a sick person in your house, but perhaps your marriage is sick. Perhaps your money is sick. Perhaps you have needs at home. We can't just come into church and pretend like everything is okay and leave Jesus at church when we got sickness and suffering at home. We've got to take Jesus home with us. This is not just religious routines. This is a vibrant, life-giving, intimate relationship that we have with God. And so we bring him home. Look at your neighbor say, get him home. 
That's one of the things Peter and Andrew understood. And when you read this story in the book of Mark, as soon as Jesus comes into the house, Mark says immediately, which is a word he uses very often, immediately what happens is that Peter and Andrew say, Jesus, we need you to touch Simon's mother-in-law. She's sick, she's suffering. Jesus, we need you to heal her. You know what they're doing? They're praying. The word appeal there is the same Greek word as interrogate. That means that they are passionately interceding for Jesus to touch the, their, their families. I, I want to ask you, church, it's a real question. When is the last time that you appealed to Jesus with so much fervor? It might seem to someone else that you're interrogating him, where you're praying and you're interceding and you're saying, Jesus, I can't just go about my religious routines going to church on Sunday. I need you in my house and I need you to touch my family. Are you with me, church? When's the last time that we appealed with that type of fervor? That's what Simon, Simon and Andrew, they were doing. They were appealing to Jesus and they were saying, I don't want to just go to church with Jesus while my family suffers at home. You know who really suffers, guys, whenever we leave Jesus at church? Our families. Our families suffer. Our spouses, our moms and dads, and our siblings, and our kids, you know, the religious thing for Peter and Andrew to do would have been to shake Jesus' hand and thank him for a great gathering, and then leave him at church, and then head home, and all the way there, talk about how awesome the service was, how the worship went off, how the word was so convicting, only to step back into a home filled with sickness, pain, and suffering, and never invite Jesus into it. That would have been the religious thing thing to do and then not pray over their family, not intercede for Jesus to touch their mother, never welcome him in, never appeal to him with passion and intercession for him to bless and to heal and to transform their families. That would have been the religious thing to do, but that's not what Peter and Andrew did. I, I, I know I'm like, I know I'm like maybe going a little too hard on my first sermon. I might be going a little too hard. We good? I just want to say, I hate to say it, but if the only place that you will pray and the only place that you will worship Jesus is at church in his house on Sundays and not take Jesus home with you, you might be more religious than you first thought. We got to get Jesus in our homes. We got to get Jesus around our families because it's one thing to bring your family to God's house and worship Jesus in church. That's good. That's where we start. But we got to get Jesus in our house around our families where we worship him in the living room. Are you with me, church? Jesus loves when you come to his house, but he wants to come over to your house as well. Can I tell you, church, I'm preaching to myself today. I, I would bet you that some of you in this room, you do this better than me. And you might think that that sounds crazy because I'm a pastor. But listen, I grew up a PK. You all know what that means? Pastor's kid. And you know how my kids are growing up? PKs, pastor's kids. And I remember as a child, whenever I was growing up, going to church every time the doors were open. And they weren't open just once a week. Oh, some of y'all, some of y'all grew up like this as well. I looked up how much does the average American Christian spend in church annually? 
it's 24 hours a year. That's crazy, by the way. Gen Z spends more time than that a week on TikTok. So I spent all this time in church, and as you can tell, I'm traumatized. Um, Danielle probably did as well. No, it was awesome. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff, but you know what? As I was growing up, I didn't like it. And I said, you know, one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to get old enough to decide when I want to go to church. And I remember that being a difficult thing for me growing up. And so now as a pastor with PKs, like I don't want to burn my kids out. So, and I also don't want to be that weird pastor dad that's always preaching to them and their friends. You know, their friends jump in the minivan and then I just launch into a sermon. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be that dad. I'm trying not to just, you know, make everything about, you know, church and ministry and the Bible. I try not to sit my kids down and give them two-hour Bible studies before bedtime. I try not to do some of those things. But you know what? In this season, y'all, God has checked me. Because I actually think I've been wrong in some of my mindsets trying to... Be- protect my kids from burnout when there's been opportunities for Jesus to step into our home and touch my family. And, and so actually I've started the year in repentance because the Holy Spirit in prayer has been checking me and my wife and saying, no, 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 this is not just about ministry at the church. This is about ministry at home. And so we're making some changes, and I want to encourage you to make some changes as well. And I'm not trying to imply that I've not been faithful to pray for my kids, teach them the word every single night, y'all. I lay hands on my kids. I pray for them. I share the Bible with them. We do Bible studies. There is books that LSM reads on systematic theology that I read to my eight-year-old at night, all right? Nonetheless, I don't think he understands anything, but I'm just getting it in his spirit, you know? Nonetheless, God has checked me on this because when we don't take Jesus home, parents, then our children mistake our love for Jesus for religious routines. We got to get God in our house. I love great services, but it's not enough to have a great event that keeps our kids. I believe that we are waking up right now regarding our kids' education. Christians all across this nation, we're waking up to say, I can't just ship my kids to school and expect those teachers to educate my kids completely. No, we're waking up right now realizing I've got to be my kid's primary educator. They might go to school, but hey, I'm required to put in some work here. I think we need that revelation about discipleship as well. You can't just bring your kids to church, drop them off at Legacy Kids and expect that's all they're ever going to need in this life to grow in their relationship with Jesus. We, as parents, we're the primary disciplers of our kids. We have an amazing Legacy Kids program. Jenna Lee is in here now. We have an incredible Legacy Kids program. Let's give it up for them for what they're doing. They're awesome. They're awesome. But you know what? They are your kids' pastors. They're not your kids' parents. And your kids are going to be more greatly impacted by what you do at home, not what you do at church. Your kids will be impacted by you coming in here, lifting your hands, opening the Bible, singing, worshiping, doing your thing at church on Sunday. But can I tell you where your kids are going to be more impacted? When you do that at home. Uh, 
I told you, I grew up a PK. I bet I've heard my dad preach a thousand sermons. I hate to admit this. I'm embarrassed. I don't remember hardly any of them. I don't. I'll be honest. I don't remember hardly any of the messages. But you know what I do remember? I do remember one morning waking up early before school. I was hungry and I wanted some cereal. So I crept down the stairs and I thought everybody was asleep. So I was trying to be very quiet. And when I rounded the corner, I heard someone in the other room and it was my father. And when I looked in, he was on his face in prayer before the Lord. And he was crying out to God for me and my brothers by name. Can I tell you that that one moment as a child impacted me more than a thousand sermons that my dad preached? So, so what I'm telling you, church, it's awesome. Parents in the room, I, I'm not trying to make a soul sermon for parents, but parents in the room, it's awesome that you bring your kids to church. We got to start there. Jesus wants to host you. But you know what? Jesus also wants you to host him. He, wa- he wants to come into your home. And when he comes into your home, there's then an opportunity for Jesus to touch your family in your homes. And let me show you real quick. Here's five byproducts of them getting Jesus in their home and Jesus touching the family. Jesus comes near to his family. He entered Simon's house. How many of you want Jesus to be near to your family? Come on, I want that. I want that more than anything else, right? Jesus overshadows his family. He stood over her. This is my prayer for my children. Every day when they leave the house, overshadow them, Lord. The next thing is, is he touches the family, took her by the hand and lifted her up. That's in Mark's passage. I want Jesus to touch my family. How about you guys? The next one is Jesus rebukes the demonic away from his family. You got to remember that Luke was a physician. Our gospel writer had an MD. All right. The way in which he articulated uh, the woman's sickness was he said she is greatly suffering. And so Jesus, who is the great physician, didn't come, in and, didn't come in and diagnose her like a doctor would. He came in and rebuked the fever. The implication there is that the disease was demonic in nature. I don't know about you, but I want to pray for my family so that Jesus rebukes the devourer off of my family. Jesus heals his, fa- his family, and it left her, and immediately she rose. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to heal my family. And you know what happens after all five of these things happen? Can you show him number six? His family serves Jesus. Now, I don't know, I don't know a greater heart cry of a Christian father that their children would serve Jesus. I, I, I don't know a greater heart's cry for a woman of God, a mother, that the child that they birthed all the days of their life would serve Jesus with holy consecration, a passionate pursuit, living a lifestyle of encountering him, not religion, but the person of Jesus. I don't know a greater heart's cry of parents. And if you're single in here and you're thinking this don't apply to me, you have family, you have roommates, you have spiritual family, you might have siblings, you have a mom and dad, somebody's in your life that is family, and you have the same responsibility as everybody else to get Jesus in your house. Because whenever Jesus moves into the home and begins to minister to families, these things happen and Jesus touches people and empowers them to serve him. You know, one of the things that I hear from time to time from parents, and it's usually the parents that have teenagers, and we don't have a whole lot of teenagers yet, Legacy Nashville, but they're coming. 
they're coming, all right? I don't know if you notice how, how young, you know, our, our children's ministry is. At some point, I know we all know this, but we tend to forget they're going to grow up. And they're going to become teenagers. And it might be a little more challenging at certain moments to know how to disciple them, but the Holy Spirit's going to help you. Somebody needs to take this. They say, yeah, 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 amen. Uh, it's all right, Lord, if they don't want it, I want it. I need it. I know I'm going to need it. I got a little girl named Jeremiah. She's fiery. I'm going to need it, Lord. I'm going to need it. I'm going to need it. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to need it. Uh, I, I, I'm in the altar from time to time, and it's usually parents of teenagers. They'll come up to me, and they'll say, can you pray that Jesus would touch my child because they fill in the blank? And so what they automatically assume is that Jesus, as the great physician, needs to touch their child in the exact location that they have diagnosed as their problem or their sickness. But here's the thing, despite the fact that Luke, a physician, details that the woman had a high fever, Jesus does not touch her head. It's not required that Jesus touch us in the place of our illness for us to get healed. We may diagnose our children. We may diagnose our spouses. Oh, yeah, I know we do that, right? We diag Jesus, would you touch her? And I'm going to tell you where. Because I know what I don't like about her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, Jesus, I need you to touch my husband because I know where he needs some healing. <laughs> Contrary to our belief, Jesus does not need to touch us in the spot of our suffering in order for us to get healed, church. He just needs to touch us. All of our families need a touch from Jesus. And the way that we create opportunities for that to take place is not just bringing them to church to meet Jesus here, but taking Jesus home with you and giving them the opportunity to meet Jesus there. Amen. So I want to encourage you, make 2024 a time when you get Jesus in the house. Come, come to his house, but get Jesus in the house. Get Jesus in the house. Will y'all say that with me? Get Jesus in the house. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in 2024. If you don't mind, just stand to your feet with me. We're going to pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to come to our homes. Lord, you, you have a throne that's beautiful and awesome and power and marvelous in its royalty and many colors and multitude of angels. But you left all of that to come here and we see that you are willing to come into the homes of sinners just like us and eat with us. Even when you were accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners, you still came into the homes and you ate with them. The whole Bible is really a story about God desiring to dine with humans. In the book of Revelation, Jesus talks about inviting us in so that we might dine with him. The first directive that he ever gave our first father, Adam, was to eat. The Bible talks about food more than any other religious book in the world. 
because there's a value in us gathering around Jesus at the dinner table. There's healing. There's healing in what happens at our dinner tables. Sin entered the world as a result of the disobedient eating. Healing and salvation came through Christ who gave us his blood and his body to eat and to drink. This is how we are healed. I want to take a moment. If there's anybody in the room, if you don't mind, just take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. If there's anybody in the room that needs to start a new relationship with Jesus today. Would you put your hand up in the air? I want to pray for you. If you feel the Holy Spirit, I see you guys. Awesome. One, two, three. I see you guys. Awesome. Four. Awesome. I see you guys. Five. Awesome. 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 Is there anybody else? Six. I see you back there in the back. Awesome. 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 We are so grateful that you're coming to the table today. Could we just pray with them, church, and say all together, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. I'm grateful for the cross and for your mercy. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and send me to walk in the Spirit with you. From this moment forward, forever. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we know that Romans teaches us if we believe in our heart and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and that he resurrected from the dead, that we shall be saved. If you prayed that prayer and you threw your hand up, I want you to come to the front. We're not trying to embarrass you, but we want you to come and we want you to meet some of our altar ministers. We, we want to pray for you. We want to bless you. We want to intercede for you and your family. We want to connect with you. We want to plug you in here to your spiritual family and get you on a path of being discipled, all right? church could we put our hands together and thank the Lord for everything he's done today we're grateful we are a grateful people Lord thank you Jesus for your saving grace and your power thank you for being the great physician and for healing our hearts we love you we love you Jesus and we love you legacy please find a few people give them a high five hug shake their hand if you haven't met who's sitting around you now's a great time go have some fellowship go have some food and may healings happen as you leave the synagogue today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God love people and go change the world.